because of Jesus and what He has done for us. We'll dismiss our older kids at this time with Brother Will uh, for class today. When I was a kid, uh, I would hear people talk about where they were at when certain life events occurred. Uh, I remember hearing people talk about where they were, older folks, my grandparents' age, where they were when Pearl Harbor was bombed uh, or when they heard about it. When you hear that America has been attacked, uh, that Pearl Harbor had been bombed, that's not one of those things you forget. You remember where you were. My mom and dad. Uh, my mom especially, I remember talking about where she was when she learned that John Kennedy had been shot, when the president had been killed. In my own life, I remember that first grade class where I was sitting, watching uh, the space shuttle Challenger take off into outer space there in the early 80s, and uh, it malfunctioning, and the great crash occurring, and all those astronauts dying. I remember, I remember... Uh, where I was being in that class when the Challenger crashed. And of course, I remember where I was on 9-11, the day that the towers came down. I remember where I was at 9-11. I remember where I was when the Challenger crashed, but I wasn't actually at those events. I saw them on my television, but I wasn't actually present. This morning, as we continue our Easter preparation series, as we use this time to prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday, when we will celebrate the great resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we continue preparing for that resurrection Sunday, we're going to look this morning at a very important event. An event greater than 9-11, greater than the crash of the Challenger, greater than the day JFK died, greater than even Pearl Harbor. We're going to look today at that event when Jesus was crucified, when He died, and when He bled on the cross for us and for our sins. So I want you to turn with me to the crucifixion account in John's Gospel. Go to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, and go to verse 33. And we're going to read part of the crucifixion account. John chapter 18, verse 33. We're going to pick up where we were last week uh, when Pilate when Pilate was questioning Jesus. All right? So this is John's account of the crucifixion. So listen to what the Bible says. John chapter 18, verse 33. Listen to what God's Word says. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again. And he called Jesus and he said unto him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, Sayest thou this thing, or do you say this of yourself? Have you come up this with yourself? Or did others tell it to you of me? Are you just asking this from a heart that wants to know? Or is this something that others have told you? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you unto me. What hast thou done? What have you done, Jesus, to deserve being before me? Jesus answered, 
my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. He's like, you don't understand. Are you a king, Jesus? Well, he might be, but not in the sense that you think, Pilate. Far beyond. Far greater than what you think. Pilate therefore said unto him, he asked him again, Are thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I in the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? Our world is confused on truth. That's why we have problems with people that are born the male gender who want to change their body and reconstruct their body so they can be a female. As people don't know what the truth is. They don't know the truth about who they are. They don't know the truth. What is truth? There are people that think that their job is the most important thing in their life. But that's not true. Some of you live your life in such a way that says, I'm the most important thing in my life. That's not true either. In fact, the one who has heard God's Word, listen to me, the one who has heard God's Word and continues to live as if they are the most important thing in their life, they make all their decisions based on what they want, not what on God wants. The one who lives like that is in worse shape. The one who has heard the Word of God and has not yielded to it, is in worse shape spiritually than the one who has never heard the Word of God and is concerned about or doesn't understand who they are. Because when you have heard the Word of God and you do not yield to it, you are under a deep, deep condemnation until you do. Pilate says, what is truth? When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and Pilate said, I find no fault in him. No fault at all. He said, I find him no fault at all. But you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then they cried. They all again, and they said, not this man. Don't let him loose. Because they did not know the truth. They had rejected the truth. And because they had rejected the truth, they were rejecting the one who is truth. And they said, not him, Barabbas. But Barabbas was a robber. Pilate, therefore, chapter 19, took Jesus and he scourged him. He had him whipped to where the flesh ripped off of him. Literally, the one who was truth with every uh, movement of that whip as they're saying, no, we refuse to believe that you are truth and we will destroy you and we will put you in your place because how dare you disrupt the world we have created for ourselves. They scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And they put, him, they put on him a purple robe. They are mocking the one who is truth. Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him. They hit him. They beat him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold! I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in 
Him. When you are confused about the truth, you beat up and you destroy and you attack one that you know is innocent. He knew he wasn't guilty, but he had him punished anyway. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe. And Pilate said unto him, Behold the man. And when the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out and they said, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, Take you him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. He was innocent. But Pilate said, You can have him. Government is made to protect to promote the good, to look out for the innocent. But here is the innocent man, and because of sin and what it, evil and, and, and the devil has done in this world, this innocent man, the government did not protect him. They gave him up to be killed. Crucify him, verse 6. Crucify him. Verse 7, the Jews answered Pilate, we have a law. Oh, they're not concerned with the truth when it looks them in the face. But they're concerned about the law and manipulating it so they can feel good about themselves, so they can feel righteous before God when the Son of God is right before them. We have a law! And by our law, He ought to die because He made Himself the Son of God. He did not make Himself the Son of God. He is eternal. He has always been the Son of God. Amen? He made Himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Why is he afraid? You ever wondered that? Is it just fear of the crowd? Or is it fear that there's something about this guy, Jesus? Whatever, he's afraid. And he went again into the judgment hall and he said unto Jesus, Whence are you? Who are you? Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then said Pilate unto him, Speak thou not unto me? You're supposed to speak to me. I'm Pilate. Knowest thou not? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and have the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me except it were given you from above. Therefore he that delivers me unto you has the greater sin. From thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. Pilate knows he should be released in his heart. But the Jews cried out. They said, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whosoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and he sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, uh, Gabbatha, and, and it was the preparation of the Passover, that most holy time when they remembered the Lamb that was slain for sin. At that very moment, Jesus is brought in. The Lamb of God is brought into the judgment hall. The sixth hour he was brought in. And Pilate said unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? And think about the absolute blasphemy. The very deep, profane statement that the Jewish leaders are about to make in front of the Son of God. The one that the Bible teaches us when the Jews were brought out of Egypt and they were going through the trials of the wilderness, the very Son of God that was there and present 
And he was there. He knew it was God. And he knew. And the Spirit of God that was with them, the very Spirit of God that was with them is a pillar and a fire. This very God, His Son, now is there. And the Jews, they had been delivered. They were no people. But this God had made them a people. And now the very Jews had been delivered, that had been made a nation, that had been given this law to be a light of righteousness in a world of darkness and evil. What do they say with Jesus there? We have no king but Caesar. We have no ruler. We look for our protection from no one but Caesar. If God was not gracious and God was not merciful at that very moment that proclamation was made the whole world should have fallen apart and been devoured and ended because this is the God who not only made them but it delivered these people and now they say we have no king but Caesar then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified and they took Jesus and led him away And he bearing his cross went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him. And on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Who crucified Jesus? Who murdered the Son of God? We know from Scripture that on the one hand, this is the plan of God to forgive sin. But we also see through Scripture the culpability and the evil of sinful humanity that chooses to engage in fostering uh, this murder, this injustice upon the Son of God. Who crucified Jesus? And I want you to see with me this morning Who it was that killed our Lord? Who crucified Jesus? Number one, the first type of person that crucified Jesus, strong men killed Jesus. The soldiers, the strong men, the soldiers crucified Jesus. Say that after me. Say, strong men killed Jesus. Who killed Jesus? Verse 2 and verse 3 of chapter 9, listen to them. The soldiers platted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And what did these strong men do with their strength? They said, Hail, the king of the Jews. And they used their strength to beat him, to punish him, to pummel him, to smote him. It's a boy I used to love to read. Loved, I still do love to read. And like lots of young boys that uh, my mom and dad trying to teach me about uh, the great heroes that have informed what it means to be a, to be a man uh, in Western civilization as a young boy, I, I idolized men that were strong. I idolized from the ancient world Hercules and his strength and proud Achilles uh, who led the Greeks into battle and died a young death, but he died 
leading his men in battle. I remember watching El Cid, the movie, who fought the Moors and helped defend Spain against the Islamic invasion as they had taken over that country. And as El Cid helped lead the Spanish to fight back, and he's a great hero to the Spaniards for fighting back against the, the Moorish Islamic people that had taken over their land. I remember reading of Jim Bowie and his knife fights, and Davy Crockett and his great exploits, and Crazy Horse, and Geronimo. We idolize these men for their prowess, for their strength. There is another truth about strong men. The sad reality is, is that many of the world's men of strength use their power not to defend, but to hurt and to harm others. And so it is not surprising if you've lived long in this world. It is not surprising to see that there are strong men who mock and hurt and harm this Jesus. Who crucified our Lord? Who murdered our Savior? Who killed this King who came for peace? Strong men. But not just strong men. Strong men murdered Jesus, but not just strong men. The religious men played their part as well. Look at verse four through, verses 4 through 7 in chapter 19. we got the strong men, then Pilate goes forth and he brings them to the Jews. What do they say? Verse 5, Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, unto the religious leaders of Israel, Behold the man! And when the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out and they said, Crucify him! Crucify him! But Pilate says, You take him! For I find no fault! In verse 7 the Jews answered, We have a law! They have a religious law! And by our law he ought to die because He made Himself the Son of God. Verse 15, but they cried out, Away with Him! Away with Him! Crucify Him! Shall I crucify your King and the religious leaders who should have been devoted to exalting Him and worshiping Him and praising Him? Said, We have no King but Caesar. Who killed our Lord? Strong men killed Him. Religious men killed him. It is true. It is a fact. That false religion and misguided religionists have hurt and harmed many people in this life. Oh, God made us to worship Him. And when confronted with the awesome power of God, Worship is the right response. In fact, even the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar, if you read the Old Testament, even this wicked pagan king, when confronted with the power, the awesome, amazing power of God, even Nebuchadnezzar could not help but worship. In Daniel 4:37, the great king, he yielded the knee with his words when he said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are true and His ways are judgment. And those that walk in pride, He is able to abase or to bring low. This is true worship. Praising the God of glory and the God of the heavens for who He is. But that is not what the Jewish religious leaders do on this day. Before them stands the very God of glory who indeed is truth 
and whose works proclaims who he is. And even Jesus, who with a simple word, a simple question, over and over in his ministry, he had the power to bring the mighty low. Before these religionists stand the God of glory. But instead of praising him, they mock and they accuse and they use their religious law and their religious authority to kill God's glorious Son who murdered Jesus. Strong men played their part and religious men played their part. But the governing men would have their role as well. The soldiers were there. The religious men were there. And the men who governed the affairs of the world were represented as well. Pilate. Pilate, the Roman prefect, the governor of Judea, he oversaw or abdicated his responsibility to oversee justice. He oversaw the sordid affair, the swirling madness that surrounded the death of our Messiah. God has given rulers to protect, to provide wisdom for nations and cities so that women and men and their families may live together and thrive together. What is it that the Apostle Peter commanded us? What is it that the Apostle Peter commanded Christians to do when it comes to the government? And by the way, this is a very wicked Roman government that Peter wrote this about. Listen to what Peter said. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme or unto governor, whether it's the president or the local authorities. Do this as unto them that are sent by him. For what purpose? For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. As we are good citizens. He says, you be a good citizen. And you be known for being a good citizen. You be known for obeying the law. For so is the will of God. That with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Right there, Peter says why government is given. God has given government to protect us from evil and to promote the doing of good. And it really doesn't matter what type of government you have, although I have my opinions about which type of governments are better, and I'm glad to live in this land, and uh, I'm glad there are certain limitations of power that still exist here. But you know, the truth of the matter is, he wrote that to people that lived under Roman occupation. But he says to them, even in that, you need to understand that if the leaders will do what they're supposed to, they will promote the good, and they will stop evildoers. But because of sin's curse, government often does just the opposite. Government under the curse of sin has gone astray. And governments promote wickedness instead of righteousness. And they pursue injustice instead of justice. This is why the governments of the world end up usually hating the church and persecuting the church because the church is an organism of God in the midst of wicked government stands as a sign of another kingdom, another kingdom that has not abandoned the ways of God and the righteousness of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. But here we see the government in Pilate doing so much of what it's done since the fall and since the curse in the garden. We see them doing the opposite. Pilate does the opposite of what he should. 
So who killed Jesus on the human responsibility side? God ordained it, but humanity plays its sinful part. Who killed Him? The strong men, the religious men, the governing men, and fourthly, the condemned men. Look at verse 18 of chapter 19. It says there, they crucified Him, two others with Him. On either side, one, and Jesus in the midst, Jesus in the middle. We know from other accounts, other eyewitness accounts in the Gospels, that these two men were prisoners. They were condemned men. And while one of them did turn to trust in Jesus, the other prisoner used his last condemned breath to mock and curse and ridicule the very one who had the power to save him. So who crucified Jesus? As we head into Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection, the great overcoming Uh, of this innocent man, this Son of God over death, as we prepare to celebrate that, who is it that killed Him? Strong men were there. Religious men were there. Governing men were there. Condemned men were there. Now, does that look like a fairly large sample size to you? That's because it is. And that's because at the crucifixion of Jesus, all people are represented. Because all types of people are condemned by sin. And so all types of people play their role and hold the responsibility for the murder of Jesus. Were you there? Were you there when they crucified our Lord? My friends, we were all there when they crucified Jesus. Were you There, when Jesus was beaten, when His innocent body was bruised, when His clothes were ripped from Him to stand naked before a sinful world? Were you there when He carried that cross to the hill of death? Were you there as the world itself looked upon the Son of God in misery and agony? You were there. Because all types of humanity played their role in the murder of the Son of God. Strong men were there. And religious men were there. And governing men were there. And condemned men were there. And all men were there. Listen to this. What happened? What happened when Pilate goes before the great throng of humanity? And Pilate asked for Jesus to be released. Just listen to what the writer Luke tells us. Listen to what he says. Listen to this. And they, the crowd... See, Jesus ends up going for the crowd before all, everybody. Women say, thank goodness, we're not in on this yet. Oh, they were there in the crowd. Luke tells us, Pilate therefore was willing to release Jesus. And they spoke again to them. He spoke again, says the crowd. Couldn't get anywhere with the religious leaders. Apparently, he asked the crowd. He says, hey, I want to let him go. But they cried, crucify him! Crucify him! And he said unto them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I have found 
no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him, beat him, and let him go. But they were instant. They were unyielding with loud voices. It wasn't a whisper, and it wasn't a whimper. It was the full force of who they were. We were there. And with a loud voice, they, they required that he might be crucified. He must die. Who killed Jesus? All of us killed Jesus. You say, Pastor, I was not there. Pastor, I protest. I am innocent of this. No, your sin was there. In, your, in, in the extended family of humanity, your sin was there. Your public sin and your private sins, your sins that you committed this week, that you think nobody else knows about. They were there condemning and crucifying our Lord. Who killed Jesus? Who was a part of the mad and motley crew that cried with a loud voice, Crucify Him! You killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. My boys... Flesh of my flesh, the seed of my seed, the same DNA, their DNA that comes from their mother and I, they killed Jesus. And if they do not repent of their sins one day, they will stand before Him as a judge. And so will you. One of my favorite pictures from the Renaissance is Rembrandt's painting of the crucifixion of Jesus being put up on the cross. You can't see this very well. But you'll see Jesus, you know Jesus. And you can kind of tell this looks like a Jewish religious leader behind him. But who is this man in the painter's beret? Who is this man that has on a painter's beret? There were no painters at the death of Jesus. Except Rembrandt is confessing with his painting what we must all confess with our lips. Rembrandt drew that picture. And when he drew Jesus being put on that cross, he drew himself into the picture. That is the painter Rembrandt. And when that picture, he sent a message that I too, I too played my part in killing this innocent man. Who killed Jesus? You killed Jesus. Who crucified Jesus? We crucified Jesus. And now you stand condemned. And your sin condemns you. And what can you do? What can we do as condemned men and women? And my friends, this is the miracle of Easter. And this is why we don't just wait until Easter on a calendar to celebrate the crucified and risen King. Because this crucified King Jesus, who you murdered, extends to you today not judgment, but He extends to you grace because you already stand under judgment for what you've done. But He gives you mercy and He gives you grace. Grace that you may live and live not under your old sinful self. In 2 Corinthians 5.15 says He died for all. Why does Jesus have to die for all? Because all played a part in His death. He died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves because we are sinful. And so He died and He gives you mercy not so that you can continue to live for you. Students, don't waste your life 
living for you. Moms and dads, don't waste your life living for you. Church family, seniors, leaders, men, women, don't waste your life living for you because He died for all that they which live should henceforth live not unto themselves but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Who killed Jesus? We did. But who forgives your sin, the worst sin that you've ever committed? The same crucified and risen King Jesus. He says, you're guilty. You're guilty. But I'll take the punishment for your sin. That is the great paradox. The cross is a paradox. The cross is a paradox beyond all paradoxes. Because yes, at the cross, we played our part in killing Him. But God has seen fit in His righteousness and His goodness and for His glory to take this death of His Son. To take this death and to say this will be the punishment for what you have done. So were you there when Jesus was crucified? Yes, you were. With the strong men the religious men, the governing men, the condemned prisoners, you and I were there as well. But there was another thing at the cross. There was another person there. And that is the person of Jesus. And from His death, His sacrifice for you and for me comes freedom for those who confess their sins and believe on the name of this Lord, Jesus Christ. If you believe today, say Amen. Maybe there's one here today that has never confessed with your mouth. Maybe you never used your mouth to say Jesus is Lord. You've never used your mouth to confess your sin and to say, I am a sinner and I know my sin condemns me. My friends, the Bible says He died for all. The Bible says that if we will confess our sin, we'll use that same mouth to confess Him and believe on Him as our Lord and Savior, then that pardon is applied to your life. And you'll have good days and you'll have bad days. And you'll have days when you wrestle with sin. And you'll have days where you feel like the victory is just going to keep coming and coming and coming. And through all that, one thing will be constant in your life. And that is that Jesus Christ has paid the price for you. But you must confess and you must believe. And so my friends, we're going to celebrate and we're going to sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we're going to sing that and we're going to sing it as loud as we can. And we're going to sing it so loud that if anybody's out in that hallway, they're going to think a thousand people in this room because we are going to sing because we have been forgiven, because we have freedom and because we are not condemned. But my friends, as we sing... Loudly to the King who saved us as we sing. If you have not confessed and you have not believed, then I implore and I encourage you today to yield to the Holy Spirit who's calling you today to come to confess your sin and to believe in Jesus Christ. If you need to come, you come while we sing. Let's stand together today. Dear Lord, thank You Thank You that You used this same act of murder that we participated in. You have used it also as a sacrifice to appease Your wrath and to give forgiveness 
to all of humanity who will confess and believe. Lord, I pray today that the weight of this message will be in our hearts to such a degree that we can't help but sing in thanksgiving and praise because despite of our participation, You have forgiven us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone who is wrestling, struggling, dealing with sin, Lord, I pray that they would come now and they would find forgiveness. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Cecil, what?